Welcome to Single Mom Stories with Kelly Travis, a show that brings you stories and conversations about life as a single mom, the mess and the beauty and everything in between. Well, hello, Single Mom Stories listeners. Welcome to another episode. I'm so thrilled that you're here with me, and I'm really excited about our interview for today. I'll tell you about her in just a minute. I've been doing um, a few interviews to kick this podcast off. This will be the third, and you can expect for the next couple that I'll be doing some solo episodes on certain topics around single mom, solo parent life. And then we'll be jumping back into more interviews with these amazing women. So if you aren't already following... There is a Instagram account for this podcast called Single Mom Stories Podcast. (laughs) And there's also a YouTube channel if you prefer to watch while you listen. And plus, I do some shorts on there that are pretty funny. So you can grab that at the link in the show notes as well. And then finally, there is a Facebook group that I um, just started. And you can find that by going to groups forward slash single mom stories keeping it simple. All right. So I hope to see you in one of those places or all of them, whatever you prefer, but definitely follow along. So let's talk about today's guest. Her name is Emma. She's super cute. I really enjoyed talking to her. While I was talking to her, she was holding a tiny little one month old. She just had another baby girl and she is the mother of another young girl. And Emma was a single mom. She isn't anymore. So I really wanted to have this conversation because of that. Uh, What I know from being a single parent and from talking to other single parents is that there is a challenge in re-entering not only a relationship, but also blending a family, um, trusting somebody again, all of these things that Emma so bravely spoke about. And I really appreciate her for it. And I think you're going to enjoy it too. She is a business owner. It started as a side hustle when she was a single parent. And then now she is doing it full time. She is a systems and operations strategist. She works with CEOs who are serious about scaling their business in efficient and sustainable ways. She um, graduated from college with a degree in operations management with a yellow belt in Lean Six Sigma that led her to her full-time job as a project scheduler. And two years into corporate life, she knew there had to be a better way of living. So that's when she started to make that transition, started her VA side hustle, and now she's doing it full-time. Like I said, we talk about Emma's experience getting pregnant while in college, very young, figuring out very quickly that the father of her child uh, was abusive. There is talk about domestic violence. So if you're at all triggered, maybe listen to this when you're in a better place. And then the happy news of her coming out of that, figuring out how to get through school. And now she's thriving in a new relationship, soon to be married, and now has a second uh, child. So I'm very excited for you to hear this. She was very honest about her experience, helpful in sharing information I did not know about the process. 
when dealing with domestic violence issues and having a child with that person. So lots of good information. Okay. I'm going to stop jabbering and I'm going to let you listen to my conversation with Emma Farrick. Hello, Emma. How are you? I'm great, Kelly. How are you? Good. Now that we've gotten through our technical issues, <laughs> we're both staring at each other and can't talk to each other. It was perfect. <laughs> Gotta love the tech. And we have a little, little one, one month. Yeah, she's six weeks. The amount of hair is crazy to me. Oh, yeah. Came out with a full head of hair. <laughs> wow. Both of my kids were completely bald. So whenever I see babies with hair, I'm like, wow, that looks really awesome. <laughs> She'll probably lose it all and be bald. That's why I'm going to my first shoes. Oh, really? Boy? Girl. I had a girl too. We have two girls. Okay. So she came out with a whole head of hair and then lost it? Yeah. She was like a little bald baby for probably two months and people thought she was a boy. And I'm like, no, she's a girl. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm so glad that you're here and you're juggling a lot. Obviously, business, mom life, all the things. So we'll talk about it. You have an interesting story, which I think is really important to talk about because once you're a single parent, I think that it's hard to think about going back into a relationship, sharing your kids with somebody, all of those things. So I really want to dive into that. But before we do, why don't we talk about like... (laughs) Yes, before now, I guess, do you want me to start kind of at the beginning, give you the highlights of everything? Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So since there's like you mentioned because we had chatted before we got connected and everything, but really this, my single mom journey kind of started obviously when I met the person that became my child's father, totally wasn't intentionally, totally wasn't planned. I was super young. I was just turned 21. I was still in college working my internship. I was like, I'm going to graduate in six, like in less than six months, I'm going to have my job. It's going to be awesome. You know, everything I felt like I had been working for my entire life of, you know, get a job, get a career, pay off the debt, have a kid eventually and settle down. Um, Obviously in the proper standard order that society tells us and my parents, Mm -hmm. you know, taught me to do, but soon to realize in a couple of months that my life was not going to be how I had always thought it was going to be because I found out two months into seeing someone, I was unexpectedly pregnant. I went through all the emotions of, can I do this? Should I do this? Do I do it with this person? Do I even, you know, that we went through a lot of rocky roads of like, he was like, well, you know, and this is like, has to do with an abuser in general, like gaslighting me, making me feel like, you know, this kid isn't even mine, you know, like all those things, the put downs, things like that. But so I was like, I went through the roller coaster of emotions once I first found out. I didn't tell anybody I was pregnant until like probably halfway through my pregnancy because I was just so like even your parents? Yeah, no, I was so scared to tell my parents. Like the first person I told was my roommate because I was like still in college. My parents were super Catholic. I was scared and like a couple of weeks before I was going to tell my parents, my dad had a stroke, like an unexpected stroke. Um, like he was 50, you know, we had just been at the beach, like no signs of it. Like we were on like this whole thing. So they did not know until I was like, I was pregnant. I told my sister eventually. Where did you grow up and where did you go to school? Oh, okay. So I grew up in like Erie, Pennsylvania. And now 
I like was going to school in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay. So you were far enough away that you weren't seeing people. So they couldn't see you growing. Yeah. I did not show with my first until closer to like five or six months. And it was like winter time. So I, I could easily cover it up with like sweatshirts and pullovers, things like that. So no one really knew until it was like almost too, because I was like so scared in college. I didn't want people to know. I didn't want people to judge me. Like I was so afraid of what people think, would think that once I let it, like, you know, once I announced my pregnancy and things like that, I was really just in my own head. Like I never got any of that. It was like all my own, all my own fear, but it was hard to deal with. Like my dad had a stroke. I was graduating college and had to move into like with this person that I didn't really want to be living with because, you know, we were tied together by this baby and I was starting a full-time job. And then literally three days before my first was born, my grandpa died. And then I was like, that's what threw me into labor. So like, there was all these like major life events that distracted me from the abusive relationship that I didn't really like start to realize, like, I can't tolerate this anymore. It wasn't until like probably the third or fourth, like physical altercation that with that, the one that actually sent me to the hospital, like I covered up so many while she was younger. Cause I just thought, okay, I got to make it till she's one or like, it's best for her to have both of us because I don't want her to come from like a broken home or something like those standards that people tell you that really shouldn't be your concern. Like the concern was when I realized, you know, I don't want my daughter to grow up seeing like her mom being abused. Like I want her to know what love is. And I don't want her to, cause I felt like at the time I had so much self, I didn't have self love. I didn't have like this confidence about me. And that's what led me to be susceptible to the abuse. And so finally I was in the hospital and I was like, that's all my parents. Like they didn't even know that either. Cause I was like, you don't want anyone to know you're ashamed. You're embarrassed. You don't want it to be true. Cause if you tell people it's true, um, like it becomes real then. Um, so I was in the hospital and I like called them and I was like, Hey, I'm in the emergency room. I don't even have my daughter who at the time was like eight months old. I had left her at home with my abuser's mother because that's what happened. Uh, but like, I had to call the police. We had to get in an ambulance. That whole thing. I went to the hospital and I was like, yeah, I have a broken nose. I need to file a PFA. I don't know what to do. Like, so they drove it on immediately. And that kind of like started the whole journey of like being a single mom and going through some really tough decisions and just getting back my life back on track because you just felt like I was felt like I was at the lowest of the low point. You know, how do I get through this? You're in survivor mode. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to juggle all this with a baby. <laughs> and how did you extract yourself from that? Because what we know about relationships, abusive relationships, is it's very hard to untangle yourself and leave, especially when you have a child. So did you immediately like move out, move home with your parents? What did that look like? So I immediately filed for an emergency protection from abuse order because it was also on a weekend. So some of the courts aren't, and this is just no good notes. So I didn't know this until I went through it. And a lot of people don't know. It's like, obviously the courts aren't open on the weekend. Um, so what do you do? In our county, there's a place called night court. So you can file an emergency protection of abuse until the courts are both open to, you know, they'll do a hearing kind of like, is this granted or are you because a lot of people file false PFAs as soon as that is. And that's what flutters up the system because it also happened to us. Literally the day we got our PFA finalized, he turned around and filed one against me, which is super common. And that totally bogged down the system. I've seen so many people 
like flip-flop from the amount of times we've been in the courtroom to see that happen. But immediately filed for a PFA. So I listed our joint house as we weren't married. So that made it easier for me to leave. That's a whole, I feel like that, that's obviously more complicated to leave when you're married because the finance fees and the shared property. So luckily we weren't legally like tied together. We just had our daughter. Um, so I filed the emergency PFA in my name for Charlotte as well. Like I included her in the PFA and then the PFA would include her. So he had to leave basically. And since um, in PA, where I'm from, this the law is if there's physical clear signs of injury, I think that's like the terming they use, they have to arrest on scene. So since I had a broken nose, I was bleeding and I had bruising and everything on my body. When I called them, they were able to arrest him on site. So he was already like not at home. He wasn't allowed to come back home. So I got ownership of the house. He did try to come back. So I did have to file like the violation of the order a couple of times. So he would got arrested a couple more times. So anyone who's going through this, if you are struggling with it, keep using the legal aspect as best as you can, even though it's frustrating and it can be slow and it doesn't seem fair all the time, but using that to your advantage is as the best as you can to help you in your in getting free is so important. And it does seem like a pain in the butt, the butt. And that's why a lot of people don't keep pursuing things like that, but it will help you, especially like all those violations he got from the PFA eventually is helping us in, in my custody, like still current, but like those proceedings, it matters. And it shows like a legal history, basically in a disregard for the law. So yeah, I got out, I stayed at that home for a couple weeks until I could figure out what are we going to do. Luckily, I had family that helped me live with them. It was so close to my job because I couldn't move home um, because I was working. I had just accepted a full-time offer. And I was like, I can't just leave my job and go to go to Erie, you know, two hours away. That's not, that's not an option for me. Now I wasn't going to just like give up and roll over. Like, I'm not going to run away. So I lived with my aunt for a while and helped me get back on my feet. And luckily, you know, not luckily, but she had gone through a similar situation when I was in high school. So she was like just a valuable resource for me to lean on in that time of like putting myself back together because I felt like no one could relate, but she could understand like, what do you do for your child in this situation? Um, and how do you make it better? Yeah. Oh my goodness. So you literally go through this transition, all of this court stuff, having a broken nose, and then days later you start a new job. Oh, I had been at the job for a couple of months. Oh, okay. Um, like I started before she was born, went on maternity leave, came back to that job. So it was still like relatively fresh. Yeah. But yeah, that was also happening. I was like, these people are going to want to fire me. <laughs> and did you have like childcare in place already so that that was taken care of when you separated from him? Yeah, she was going three days a week, but I had to bump it up immediately to full time because I was like, she's not, she was staying with him during the day, but I, I was like, no, we can't do that anymore. But the problem was, so fun fact, if anyone listening has childcare, you might want to think about switching your childcare because they told me if he came in asking for her, since he was the parent and on the paperwork, they would have to give my, like, even with all this, even with the PFA, they wouldn't be able to like not give it him the child just because of the safety of everyone else in the facility and the other kids. So I immediately switched 
because we were also moving and we were going to be moving to a different part of town. But I completely switched the daycare. I switched our doctor, her doctor, like anywhere that he had been paper on paperwork for, um, I switched immediately so that he could not insist to pick her because of the protection from abuse. Like that, but they that helped me or they would have like been, they would have been like, well, he's her dad. So that's so crazy that the system doesn't work for you in those situations. It's like, oh, we'll send this child home with the person who just beat you up. No problem. Yeah. And he actually followed me the one day to her daycare, like weeks after. And I was like terrified. I was like, geez. So like I had to switch to the daycare. I was like, I can't be at work all the time thinking, oh, what if he picks her up? What if I get a phone call that like my child is gone, that I can't get them back because he would use her as like, a pawn or a leveraging tactic. Wow. So what did you do during that time to you reference, like pick yourself back up, put yourself back together? What did that look like while having a baby? So work is really like my safe. It felt like the safe place because it was at least some stability and some control. And luckily I also worked at a facility that was pretty guarded because of the nature of my job at the time was we did, I did government contracting. So I was at least like, I had to notify the security people at work. Cause like he wasn't allowed to come on property. You know, that was like a whole embarrassing thing. Like, but that was like, made me feel safer. So I was like, I feel least safe at work. Cause I didn't feel safe at home. I was like, what do I do? Um, so just like kind of getting back into a new routine was the biggest thing for me. And then continuing to go to therapy. So I was already in therapy for postpartum depression, which now looking, I was like, I probably wasn't fully postpartum. I was being gaslit and all that. So continuing to go to um, a therapist who was, who specialized in like postpartum and couples therapy, kind of specifically women's health, you know, some therapists specialize in different things, continuing to go to that and then just changing the environment um, like when I moved and leaning on the support of my family and my friends that I could lean on in that time. So I like leaned on my girlfriends a lot at the time because I didn't have really as much immediate family nearby. So they would help me pick her up from school. Like I almost missed picking her up. This is like a random side, side note. The same week, so the same week I had this incident and I've been in the hospital, I also got in a car accident picking my daughter up from daycare and I'm like who do I call because I can't call my like my the her dad because like we're not talking that's who I would have called but then I was like okay I have to call my girlfriend to see if they're out of work and if they can pick her up because I just totaled the car and they're the you know that's not fun it was not funny at the time it's funny now to me that the firefighter and the police that were there because I like I got smashed like I really smashed they were like oh my god are you okay I'm like oh no no this bruising is not from the car accident and this happened and my week is just shitty like i yeah. you know they like saw me and they're like oh my god are you okay do we need to take you to the hospital I'm like no 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 i just need to go i need to go like i need to put my daughter that's all i can think about so yeah it's like a funny side note of leaning on your friends when yeah you need them in this instance yeah you really had no choice so you were kind of forced to be asking for help which sometimes we struggle with right oh yeah yeah, it was hard to ask for help and to be like, I can't do it all on my own. Like just coming to terms with it is huge. Yeah, that's a huge one. But you were able to get there because you really didn't have a choice. 
<laughs> yeah. Sometimes when you don't have a choice is when you're going to, you're going to learn really quick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. So fresh out of college, raising this baby by yourself, really fearful a lot for your own safety. When did that start to shift for you? I mean, did you start to feel better? Yeah. Custody is probably mostly to you, right? That was like its own journey. I feel like the custody piece because in PA, and this is why I'm so advocate about sharing this my story is because the violence didn't happen to her. They were still granting him like unsupervised visit, like unsupervised custody. And since he had been watching her two or three days a week, we got not 50-50 fully to start, but he got her three days a week when I was at work or two days a week when I was at work and like an afternoon on the weekend, but it was all unsupervised. It was all like, okay, we're not going to acknowledge the fact that he just, you know, did this to you because he didn't specifically do it to the child. He was able to keep unsupervised custody. He just continued to progress because this is what's crazy is like the system. I had a public defender at the time who was looked at me and was like, well, the system's not proactive, it's reactive. So he has to do stuff to lose the custody. So through all of this, through so much time, my daughter's four now, he's down to like four hours a week that he doesn't even use supervised and he has to pay. Like that's how much has changed and all the stuff like we've had to go on through. Like he kidnapped her basically one time, he wasn't coming back for me like he was supposed to like you know it like seriously progressed and i was like well i don't know why we had to why we should we should have started at this point and he should have proved himself not you know put my child in all these situations like luckily she doesn't remember any of it but if you have a kid that's older and they're gonna remember that stuff and then they're gonna just be contributing to the they that's just making them susceptible to being a generational trauma or like repeating the cycle yeah wow Sorry, that's like a side tangent. And <laughs> that the system doesn't always work for you. Um, so that was like a hard thing to swallow at first. <laughs> well, and just like the waiting game, right? You don't have any control really. And that's the most that took me probably two years to even accept was I was constantly like in fear, like, what's the system gonna do? What's this judge gonna say? And how how am I gonna cope with this for my daughter? Hmm. Okay, so you did this all on your own for about a year? Yeah, pretty much a year and by myself. Um, and that's about a year into it, I met my now fiance. And what was that like? Because you have a child, you're dealing with unstable father over here. You're trying to like be in this relationship. How, how did that go? Uh, that came with its own challenges. And honestly, I was ready to give up on trying to go on dates. I was definitely putting myself out there way earlier than most people would or feel comfortable to because I just wanted to get back to feeling like normal. And I was like, you know, I'm going to be emotionally detached about this. You know, I'm not going to act like it bothered me. So I was like, I just want to be like living my life. Because again, I was only like 22, 23 at the time. I was like, I don't want this to be a thing, but I was ready to give up on online dating because I was doing it for a little bit. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. You know, that's and everything. And then I connected with my now fiance, which backstory, we dated prior in college. We had gone out before. 
Okay. The parted ways. So I think that helped. And I want, that's why I want to preface this because I feel like if he and I hadn't known each other prior to everything that happened, it would have been a lot harder for me to like let my guard down with him. But we had known each other in, uh, when I was in college. He was in the Marine Corps. Um, we matched again on a different dating app. So we had matched the first time on Tinder. We had matched again and this time on a different dating app. I was like, I don't even know if I want to go on this date. But my best friend who knew him from before, like we had lived together. So she knew him. I was like, you know what? Just give him a chance. He's like the only guy I ever really liked that you ever went out with, you know, <laughs> kind of, you know, pick some bad ones before, but he's nice. So I was like, fine, I'll go. And I like went during the one afternoon. My daughter was at one of her, her, it was his time to be with her. So I was like, okay, I have a couple hours this afternoon to kill. Let's meet up. And it was like, after that, I was like, okay, you know, I really want this to work. So he was like, just super understanding from the get go. You know, he had grown up a lot too, because he was a little bit younger, but he was like, you know, so it was, he was really understanding, but it was difficult because he, you know, with the ex and being in kind of the situation, I was so guarded all the time. And we had to work around this inflexible schedule. But he's always been like so supportive of, you know, I want to be there for my daughter. And I want to be there for you, however I can. And I think that's what really helped. Like the trust and our businesses itself really opened up that trust too. So it's taken like, Little things here and there because we, I had been financially abused in addition to like emotional, mental, all of that. So I never really trusted him with money until I like quit my business that like forced me almost into having to be reliant on this person. Because when you've been in that, I'm going to do it all myself. I can't trust anybody. You really just want to do it on your own, all on your own, but you can't. And I was like, I can be this person and I can have this way for next number of years or I can decide to see the good in a person and not let my experience stain it for everyone because in part of my therapy and part of my healing I learned about narcissistic abuse and that kind of person and I quickly was able to identify through the therapy that that's who my partner was prior and I could easily see there there's no red flags here like I'm I just need to not freak myself out like ruin it for myself, self-sabotage and just being hyper aware of my own actions where I was going, I could potentially be doing that. Yeah. I mean, when you come from such a traumatic experience, it's really easy to assume that the next person is going to do that to you too. Right. And be by myself and do all this by myself. Yeah. And you can't easily do that. And there's people who do attract that type of person. That's like something I learned in therapy as well. And through, I got really big into the Enneagrams after. Um, I'm an Enneagram certified uh, uh, facilitator, coach. How funny. What are you? I'm a two. Uh-huh. I'm three. So twos at their lowest self are, I, I've learned, are more susceptible to a narcissist or this type of abuse because you want to have that uh, satisf- satisfaction of being loved and you want their attention. So I was at a low point in life. So that's made me easier, easier susceptible to that person is what I learned. And I, that was like a real big part of the healing process. Yeah. It sounds like you've done a lot of healing. You've learned to take care of yourself, to just care about yourself, right? 
which is a hard transition when you've been through what you've been through. So obviously you guys connected and you didn't sabotage. (laughs) You're right. No, I did not sabotage. Luckily, I could have many times, but he was very persistent. I wouldn't say persistent, but supportive. I'm here for this journey. And I understand that you've gone through this. Like you need time to heal. But really my business helped me in addition to the therapy. Like my business was a main part of healing. So you referenced the business a couple of times. What is it and how has it helped you? So I own my business is Elf Operations. And it, I mainly started out as a virtual assistant. I've transitioned now to niche down into operations and systems uh, strategy and consulting for online business owners. But the way it's helped me heal is like the unique aspect of it just opened up so many doors for me to one, be at home with my daughter, especially when the pandemic happened. It gave me the opportunity to take financial control back in my life because that was one thing that was hard. And that's why a lot of abuse, people go back to abusers as finance. So for me, I didn't want to let the child support and all that be a factor of... Because he was very much like, if I'm paying you child support, then you're going to do this, this, and this for me. Like He expected there to be some exchange above and beyond. Like He's like, I, I have to give you this money kind of thing. And I was like, I don't want that. I want complete freedom and I want complete control in my life. So I wanted this business so I wasn't bleeding money. Because even with my full-time job, I'm like, cover all these expenses. Childcare is expensive, you know, all this. And I found online the world of online business. And I was like, I'm hooked. Like I can be at home with my daughter. I can make unlimited money. You know, I can do all this. And it sounded great, super hard. That is what led me on my personal like development journey because you come through all these mental hoops you have to jump to even get your business off the ground and do this because it's crazy. So I just connected with so many women in the online space that helped me heal. And I never would have met them in a traditional job, like mindset coaches, inner healing specialists, like they maybe were clients of mine. And I just picked up some of the stuff as I was helping them in their business or, you know, we connected and I was a client of theirs, like, and I could write it off as a business expense because it was training and personal development. So like that fun, like my business funded my self development and self healing in a sense <laughs> for a little bit there so that I could do all that and feel comfortable. So, but getting and putting myself out there really has helped to get the control back and feel like I'm proving you wrong because that was part of the abuse was like, you're never going to be smart enough. You can't do this. You can't do that. So to prove it, I like started my business and I'm, you know, it's taken off so that I could be home with both of our daughters. And since my fiance is also an entrepreneur, that was like a big bonding thing for us because we both wanted this life together and in control of like when we could be home with our kids and when we couldn't be. So he was running just real estate investing at the time, but he was like my biggest supporter. And that was like what helped bond us as well and solidify our relationship was he was like, if you want to start your business, if you want to quit your job, like every step I took, even though it would have been crazy to someone else, he was like pushing me to go and do it. And when I wanted to quit, he was always telling me, just keep hanging on or like giving me the resources that he's learned. So he's been my biggest supporter in my business, which has led to just us being closer. 
because we talk about like our finances, how are we running our businesses, you know? So we have all that to be home with our kids. I love that. And I love that you took a chance. Well, quite a few chances and quite a short amount of time. <laughs> yes. Um, so going back to shifting from single mom to being coupled up, right, with somebody and having a child, does he have children that he brought to the relationship or? No. Okay. So you said he was accepting and, and wanted to support you and your daughter. Has has anything been challenging in terms of parenting or blending? Because you've been, you raised her for a while by yourself. Then you started probably, you know, at some point you guys started to live together. But what was it like? So I think our story adds in a little bit of a twist because of the pandemic. So we started dating in way before the pandemic started, like quite a bit and before then. So we were dating um, and then we had bought a house together and moved in together the day the pandemic started, basically. Perfect. So off to a good start. I had been living with my sister before then. We were, you know, living separately. So it was its own challenge of, he wanted to be able to help more. He knew I was stressed financially. So that was kind of like our plan was, you know, we'll buy the house, we'll live there. My sister was going to move in with us. It just made more sense, which that showed me that he was committed because he was living in a one bedroom apartment that he owned the house because he had owned so many real estate pieces. So I'm like, oh, he's going to like take the mortgage and we're going to do this like we're serious. But the challenge was she was still at the beginning, still seeing her biological dad. And it was, she was so young. So it was confusing for her. We never like forced that upon her. Like you don't have, we never said like, no, you don't have to call him dad. But she also didn't understand for a while. So it was just Zach, which is my husband's name and, or my soon to be husband's name. And then her dad, but then he basically left. Like we would have been fighting this custody battle for months, like me and him. And he was trying to get 50-50. But then the day like we had our hearing, he told us, He's moving to Florida, which is, you know, so far away. Um, so that happens. He moves right before the pandemic happens as well. And then we never, we didn't even hear from him for over a year. Like he, there was some harassment to me, but never came back for a visit. I didn't even bring it up to my daughter. So eventually slowly, since she was with him, my fiance every day when we moved in together, like when the pandemic happened, I was still working in person because of my job he actually got laid off and there was no childcare. So without him, like that would have been a whole bad agenda for me because I would have had to quit my job and be incomeless if it wasn't for him. So he stayed home with her with the daycare situation. So they got really close there. And so she, she kind of just took to him as being her father figure. But eventually in the past year, he came back and is now having supervised visits with her. So it's this whole like, odd topic for her of like, I associate my, this person to be my dad, but now people are telling me this person's my dad biologically. How do we, how, and it's like, for me as a mom, like how, where do I step in? Where do I say the right thing? Because I want to validate her feelings, but I don't want to give her too much kind of thing. And it's just like, you got to tiptoe around these conversations. And now we're back in like the waiting game with the courts. But you know, that's kind of where it was weird for me because he did leave. And I didn't even know how to address that with her for a long time, because she'd ask, like, where is, are we going to go to our visit? And eventually, I kind of, she kind of stopped asking after he stopped coming for visits and canceling them. 
So now it's like a whole nother reunification is like the court term for it. Ugh. So it's like interesting topics that aren't common, but they do happen. Like people can leave and the biological parent can come back and just, if, you know, if they still legally have the order in place and they didn't give up their rights, they can just swoop back in and have the child, like no questions asked. Yeah. Oh man. Well, it sounds like you're handling it as best you can, right? Given that situation. Right? Yeah. It's hard with when you can't control it, which I know a lot of moms struggle with because they feel in control. The moms are, you know, you're the one taking care of them. You're doing the doctor's appointments. You're doing the laundry. Sometimes, you know, if you're a single mom, sometimes it's not the best partner helping out. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a great point we've talked about on this podcast where you don't have to on paper be a single mom to feel like a single mom, right? There's so many women who are doing the bulk of the work. Um, maybe they have some financial support, but they are doing most of this of their own. That is a really good point and so true. Yeah. So we talked a lot about a lot of challenges, right? And how you like moved through them. What really kept you going in some of the hardest moments? I think for me was my daughter and the life I wanted to have for her. And the fact that I didn't want to be this statistic in a sense of, oh, I'm going to be the young single mom, but the negative of it, I was like, I want to be the positive aspect of the statistic and just keep pushing to give her the life I wanted to be able to give. And I could have let fear stop me because I was like, no, no one's going to love me. I like went down those, like, that self-negative talk. And then I was like, if I keep focusing on that, that's what it's going to be. So I need to focus on what I do want in the positive aspect and do the work that I wanted to do. I love it. Okay. One last question. Like funniest favorite memory with you and your daughter. Oh gosh, there's like that's a hard question because there's so many um good moments, I guess. So when I was going to therapy, these are some of my favorite moments of we would go and have date nights because she had have to bring her with me to therapy. She was young enough, she didn't know, but I made it a whole date night out of it. So like there, I just have memories of us going to dinner and her just dancing with her like food because she was so happy and she was like still really young. So she was just learning how to do all that. And we're like we would go to Chick-fil-A and she'd get her her toys and her ice cream and play. And it was just like these mother daughter nights that I made it a little bit. Yeah, like a tradition, right? Yeah. So every week we would go before therapy and have dinner and it would just be me and him. Yes. Love it. How are you doing adjusting with the one month old to the crew? <laughs> Good. And that was something else I was worried about adjusting with like, you know, big sister, you go from one to multiple and she was the only child for so long, but she's been really good about it. And she is definitely just like her sister where she wants help all the time. So it's like getting used to not having hands again (laughs) (laughs) and just always having my hands literally full. Yes, you will do. I love it. Love it. Anything else we didn't touch on that you want to make sure we share? Just that if you're going through something similar or you're a single mom, it will and does get better. Like the day to day may seem tough, but there's small things that'll make that can really change your life in the long term. There's such a different a year can make. Thank you so much, Emma. Um, thank you so much for having me and letting me share my story. 
Well, Emma was great, wasn't she? I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. And if you enjoy this podcast, please, if you don't mind, (laughs) head over to the spot where you rate and review. Leave a rating, a review if you can, and more people will begin to find this new podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate you. And I can't wait to talk to you next week. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.